Today on the Matt Walsh Show, Joe Biden at his town hall last night proved once again that he is a man living in a fantasy world, driven mad by left-wing ideology. The latest evidence is his proposal that police officers neutralize dangerous suspects simply by shooting them in the leg. We'll talk about why this is an absurd and unworkable idea. Also, five headlines, including the left doxing a woman because she nodded during Trump's town hall. And in our daily cancellation, we will cancel body shaming. Not the thing itself. We're going to cancel the term body shaming and all the panicking people do over it. Body shaming actually is not a big problem. That's going to be my point and all that coming up. First, though, let's talk about Helix Sleep. You know, you need a, you need a good night's sleep. Everybody does. Uh, sleep is a physical necessity. I don't know if you knew that. I know for me, I've, I've tended to, to struggle with insomnia. Until I figured out that I can sleep, I just have very specific sleep needs. I'm a high-maintenance sleeper, a bit like the princess and the pea or something. I'm I relate very much to that story. The great thing is that Helix Sleep can meet anyone's sleep needs. Uh, Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you like a mattress that's really soft or firm, if you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach, or you sleep really hot, with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique taste. Just go to helixsleep.com Walsh. Take their two-minute quiz. Uh, takes just two minutes. It really is quick, and they'll match you to the customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Right now, Helix offers up to $200 off um, and free pillows with all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Walsh. That's helixsleep.com slash Walsh for up to $200 off your mattress order. Go there now, helixsleep.com slash Walsh. All right, well, I saw a movie once, you know, where um, the sheriff of of a dusty old western town thwarted a bank robbery by shooting the gun out of the bad guy's hand and then threw a, a rope around him and, and, and uh, it, it lassoed him around the waist. All the bystanders applauded while the sheriff tipped his cap, took the hogtied crook off to jail. These sorts of moments are enjoyable in films because they're fun and simple and offer neat resolutions. And it can feel preferable to the real world, which sadly tends more towards messiness and ambiguity. Many people in our culture today struggle to distinguish between the real and the fantastical, leading to, among other unfortunate consequences, unrealistic expectations, and among politicians, very stupid policy proposals. Police critics and would-be reformers have often demonstrated this failure of distinction by breezily suggesting that cops could avoid killing suspects if only they behave more like Hollywood action heroes. What's the big deal? Just, you know, just be a Hollywood action hero. It's bad enough when this sort of childishness emanates from internet commenters and journalists, but it becomes a source of major concern when coming from a guy who might be our next president. So Joe Biden at his ABC town hall last night answered a question about police reform reform, and and gave us some of this complete nonsense. Listen. We can do this. You can ban chokeholds. You can, but but beyond that, you have to Teach people how to de-escalate circumstances. De-escalate. So instead of anybody coming at you and the first thing you do is shoot to kill, you shoot them in the leg. There's ways you have to do more background checks in terms of whether or not the person coming in passes certain psychological tests. And the last thing I'll say, and I'm sorry because it's really, I think, really, really important, is you have to be in a position where you are able to identify identify the things that have to change. And one of the things that has to change is so many cops get called into circumstances where somebody is mentally off. Like what happened not long ago, that guy with the knife. That's why we have to provide within police departments, psychologists 
and social workers to go out with the cops on those calls, those, some of those 911 calls, to de-escalate the circumstance, to deal with talking them down. Instead of anybody coming at you and first thing you do is shoot to kill, just shoot him in the leg, Biden said, with all the seriousness and credibility of a man wondering whether plane crash fatalities could be avoided by covering aircraft and bubble wrap. Biden, of course, is far from the first person to put forward this just shoot him in the leg thing. Anti-police activists often engage in similar silliness. And attempts have actually been made in New York State, for example, to, to legally require cops to aim for a suspect's limbs. Now, that, that law never went through, thank God, but it just shows you. Um, it, it's embarrassing, this idea, for a number of obvious reasons. First of all, legs are a narrow, fast-moving part of the body. Unless we're requiring every police officer to be an expert-level marksman, which would be an even taller order when we replace them all with social workers, which has been suggested, it's absurd to expect this kind of accuracy during a high-pressure, quickly-evolving situation. Dr. Bill Lewinsky, uh, he's the executive director of the Force Science Institute, he's explained some of the science behind this problem, uh, and this is what he says, quote, Hands and arms can be the fastest moving body parts. For example, an average suspect can move his hand and forearm across his body to a 90 degree angle in 12 one hundredths of a second. He can move his hand from his hip to his, to his shoulder height in 18 one hundredths of a second. The average officer pulling the trigger as fast as he can on a Glock, one of the fastest cycling semi-autos, requires a quarter of a second to discharge each round. There is no way an officer can react, track, shoot, and reliably hit a threatening suspect's forearm or a weapon in a suspect's hand in the time spans involved. He continues, legs tend initially to move slower than arms and, and to maintain more static positions. However, areas of the lower trunk and upper thigh are rich with vascularity. A suspect who's hit there can bleed out in seconds if one of the major arteries is severed. So again, uh, shooting just to wound may not result in just wounding. On the other hand, if an officer manages to take a suspect's legs out non-fatally, that still leaves the officer's hand, the offender's hands free to shoot. His ability to threaten lives has not been necessarily stopped. So, this touches on two of the other major problems. Even if you successfully hit the suspect's legs, you may sever his femoral artery, the main source of blood to his lower extremities, causing him to bleed out rapidly anyway. If you don't hit the artery, well, you'll have wounded him, but you haven't stopped him. Depending on where you hit him, and also how much adrenaline or, or other foreign chemicals are coursing through him, the suspect will still be able to run, walk, certainly shoot at least. Now, let's apply this to actual real-world situations. And, and, and when we do that, the feebleness and incoherence of the just shoot him in the leg proposal becomes clear. Take, for example, the shooting of Ricardo Munoz in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which prompted rioting and protest. Munoz came charging suddenly out of his house, wielding a large knife. The officer uh, who, who was being attacked took him down when he was mere feet away. Had the officer aimed for his leg and missed or grazed him, he could have easily been stabbed to death before he had a chance to get off another, another shot. Take the shooting of Dion Kay in Washington, D.C., also a couple months ago. He was shot while running towards the officers with his gun drawn. This was all caught on body cam. Again, had they aimed for his leg and missed, there'd be no time to fire again before Kay could get a shot off in the officer's direction. Had they shot and wounded him, he still would have been holding a gun and perfectly capable and perhaps now more likely to use it. So Joe Biden's suggested strategy would have very likely gotten police officers in both situations killed, as well as potentially dozens of or, or hundreds more each year. 
Joe Biden is living in a fantasy world, which will become a very real and present danger for law enforcement officers if any attempt was made to bring his fantasies to fruition. And speaking of fantasy worlds, Biden at the town hall last night also seemingly endorsed the insane notion of transgender eight-year-olds. Here's that moment. Listen. I'm the proud mom of two girls, eight and ten. My youngest daughter is transgender. The Trump administration has attacked the rights of transgender people, banning them from military service, um, weakening non-discrimination protections, and even removing the word transgender from some government websites. How will you, as president, reverse this dangerous and discriminatory agenda and ensure that the lives and rights of LGBTQ people are protected under U.S. law? I will flat out just change the law. Eliminate those executive orders, number one. You may recall, I'm the guy who said, uh, I was raised by a man who uh, I remember I was being dropped off. My, my, my dad was a high school educated, well-read man who uh, was a really decent guy. And I was being dropped off to get, get an application in the center of our city, Wilmington, Delaware, the corporate capital of the world at the time. And these two men, I'm getting out to get a, an application to be a lifeguard in the African-American community because there was a big swimming pool complex. And, uh, and these two men, well-dressed, leaned up and hugged one another and kissed one another. I'm getting out of the car at the light, and I turn to my dad. My dad looked at me and said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. The idea that an eight-year-old child or a 10-year-old child decides, you know, I decided I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It may make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination. Now, leaving aside that the story about his dad and the gay men, which he's, he's told before, sounds completely made up, the issue is that Biden is beholden to a left-wing ideology that stands athwart reality, hoping to alter or abolish hard truths by tearfully screaming at them. This is why he is dangerous and absolutely cannot be given the power that he seeks. Let's get to our five headlines. Well, we've been talking about the problems with big tech this week, and so I think now's uh, uh, there's, there's no better time to tell you again about ExpressVPN. You know, you know what big tech and big government have in common? They both want to silence any dissenting voices into submission. We have seen that this week. Let's say you're a proud gun owner. You want to talk on social media about the right to bear arms. Well, chances are that your post will be flagged by a content moderator, and you might end up on some kind of government watch list to fight back against having your voice censored by both big tech and big government, I recommend ExpressVPN. See, the problem with big tech is that not only do they attempt to censor you, but they also track what you do online. Um, What you're searching for, videos you watch, everything you click. So they're gonna learn everything about you. When I use ExpressVPN, which I I always use ExpressVPN, they can't see my IP address at all. My uh, identity is anonymous. It's made anonymous by a secure VPN server. Plus ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of my internet data for protection from hackers and eavesdroppers. I mean, this is your data, your information. No one else has a right to it. And so you have to protect yourself. Um, ExpressVPN, by far the best VPN that I've tried. It's the VPN rated number one by CNET, Wired, countless other tech publications. You can look it up for yourself. Um, what I, that's what I love most about ExpressVPN is that you know it's, it's, it's highly recommended, very effective. Couldn't be easier to use, which is really important for me as 
as you know, a moron. So stop letting big tech and big government censor and track you. Defend your rights. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Walsh. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Walsh to get three months free. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh. All right. As mentioned, uh, dueling town halls last night. I, I, I thought Trump performed pretty well, despite the extremely aggressive moderating, if we can call it that, by Savannah Guthrie on NBC. Uh, once again, of course, Trump, Trump gets the kind of hostile questioning that Joe Biden has never, ever received and will never, ever receive. But I thought Trump was disciplined, calm, focused. Uh, I thought it was good. I, I would love to see, we talked about this yesterday, I would love to see this version of Trump and only this at least until election day. That's what I would love to see. I don't expect it, but that's what I would like because I thought it was it was uh, very effective. And what that meant is the left had to go elsewhere for controversy because they couldn't get it from Trump. And so they decided to focus instead on a woman sitting behind Trump who was nodding. Yes, this was their focus. A woman nodding. She was the target of leftist rage. Uh, and, and here she is. You can see her there nodding. Look at her with her nodding. How dare you? Who are you to nod? Who do you think you are nodding? This is this is what you can go to Twitter and type in nodding, okay, and search for it, and you'll see hundreds of tweets from people condemning the nodding woman and trying to dox her. Find out who she is. Punish her for nodding. Liz uh, Garbus, for example, Liz Garbus, a, a, a Hollywood person, I don't know, some kind of actress or something. Uh, she confessed to feeling quote a lot of rage about the woman nodding. Can you imagine? Can you just, you know, I, I continue to be so impressed by the ability of many of these leftists to get angry about stuff, especially when I get angry about things all the time. You know, that's my thing. I get it. But even I, I'm left in, in, in awe and admiration of their ability to get angry because they get angry about things that I wouldn't even dream. I couldn't even conceive of being angry about them. I don't know how to do it. They need to teach me. They've achieved a level of, of petty anger, anger that is, that is uh, you know, it makes me look like an absolute novice in comparison. So I can't imagine watching a town hall and just sitting there stewing, at her nodding, stop nodding. Ah! I can't, I just, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I, I can't understand it, but this is what rage, I feel rage that the woman was nodding. Tom Nichols um, called for journalists to find this woman, uh, find out who she is, and punish her. He didn't say punish her, but that was implied. In fact, Tom Nichols, as you can see, look at this. He tweeted angrily about the nodding woman dozens of times. He spent hours without a hint of irony. This was not performance art. This was, he was really, this, this is how he decided to spend his Thursday night. Finding out who the woman is who's, who nodded at Trump and destroy her. And then the media started doing news articles about it um, until finally she was identified. They, they, they succeeded in finding out who she was and they identified her. And, um, and, but, you know, the, the thing that set them off, obviously, is it's not just that a person was nodding. Now, if that was like, a white guy behind there nodding, then I think they probably would say nothing about it. It's that she's a black woman. How dare a black woman indicate any sort of agreement towards Trump? She's not allowed to. It's not permitted. This is the leftist mentality. 
Black people are ours. Women are ours. Latinos, racial minorities, they belong to us. You belong to us, is the message that the left sends to people in those demographics. Uh, they, they think they own them. And if, 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 if they stray, if they get out of line, if they misbehave, well, the left is going to punish them severely for it. This is the mentality. It's sick. It's twisted. It's deranged. It's, it's crazy. Um, the way they react, it's like, it's like they, they, they really do react like they have been personally betrayed. When a black person, black woman especially, because now you have the intersectional, you got two, two intersectional points here. Black woman um, indicates at all that, that she might not be a leftist. They react as though they have been personally stabbed in the back and betrayed by, like that person owes them something and they are not getting what they are owed. Number two, how about some positive news for a change? Um, honestly, this news made me, made me very happy. Just wonderful stuff here from the Daily Wire. It says, enrollment rates have declined for undergraduate students at colleges and universities across the United States, and much of it can be attributed to fewer freshmen choosing to attend, according to a new study released on Thursday. Figures from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center show that uh, first-year students have enrolled in colleges at a 16% lower rate than first years in 2019. This group of students account for 69% of the total decline in the national undergraduate enrollment rate, a figure that currently stands at a 4% decline. The data also shows that community colleges have been particularly affected by the decline, experiencing roughly a 23% drop in enrollment rates. Um, Doug Shapiro, executive director of the center uh, of, uh, what center? Some center I just talked about. Oh, the National Student Clearinghouse. Told the New York Times in an interview that community college enrollment during the Great Recession actually increased and called the declining rate in 2020 enrollment data staggering. I fear that many of those students will never go back. Well, look, I got nothing against community college. So uh, th- th- this is, uh, I think community college has a real role. So this is nothing against them. But as far as the four-year universities experiencing this drop, we can only pr- pray it continues and, uh, and that many of them are bankrupted and destroyed. That's my dream scenario. Dozens and dozens of these godforsaken institutions boarded up, abandoned, and we can all gather and hold hands in a circle around the abandoned buildings, dancing, dancing the night away. That's, that, is my, that is my fantasy. Um, and why would I feel that way about them? Well, you know, no reason except that these institutions are financially bankrupting generations of Americans. Um, forcing them, not forcing them, but uh, duping them into paying for the privilege of being brainwashed. In exchange for being made poor and in debt, they'll also make you confused and deluded. That's the deal. And so, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I would, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the idea of, of, of them suffering enormous financial consequences for that. Now, number three, let's move on to this from the Daily Wire. Here's a story to prove my point about the last thing we just talked about. It says the University of Minnesota's School of Social Work and, and Continuing Education series recently hosted what they called a special webinar series that was titled, quote, Deconstructing and Decentralizing Whiteness in Practice, a three-part series, in which a lecture titled Recovery from White Conditioning taught white people how to use a 12-step program similar to Alcoholics Anonymous to recover and reclaim our full humanity. 
Okay. Um, I can't even read any more of this. So it's a 12-step program to overcome being white. I, I know we're so used to this by now that we're numb to it, but let's really focus on the fact that they are treating whiteness like a literal disease, like a sickness. And they're doing this while claiming that there's no racism against white people. No, there's no racism against white people, you diseased demons. That's the message. Number four, Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac um, enjoying a bit of a career resurgence because of that video of the guy skateboarding and drinking juice. That's all it takes these days. Has now come out and credited her, her career success with her decision to murder her unborn child. Uh, in a recent interview, she says, quote, abortion rights, that was really my generation's fight. If President Trump wins this election and puts the judge in he wants, she will absolutely outlaw it and push women back into back alley abortions. Side note, by the way, uh, the Supreme Court is not going to be outlawing abortion. If they overturn Roe v. Wade, then it goes to the states and it will still remain legal in many states, you know, California, New York, many of the most populous states it will remain legal in. Uh, anyway, if I had... Uh, if I had not had that abortion, I'm pretty sure that there would have been no Fleetwood Mac. Perish the thought. There's just no way that I could have had a child then working as hard as I worked constantly. And there were a lot of drugs. I was doing a lot of drugs. I would have had to walk away. And I knew that the music we were going to bring to the world was going to heal so many people's hearts and make people happy. And I thought, you know what? That's really important. There's not another band in the world that has two lead women singers, two lead women writers. That was my world's mission. You know, I have to say, there are no good reasons to kill a child, ever, period. But this reason, that you had to kill a child in order to ensure that the world is not deprived of Fleetwood Mac, this has to be perhaps at the top of the list of the really bad reasons. She's saying she killed her child so she could do drugs and make money. I'm sorry, work hard. And I, I like how she lumps in, you know, I was working so hard back then uh, and doing a lot of drugs. Working hard and doing drugs. Somehow to me, th those seem like mutually exclusive pursuits, don't they? I mean, either you're, you're at a point in your life where you're doing a lot of drugs or you're at a point where you're working hard. It, it doesn't seem likely that you're doing both. But regardless, um, that's why she killed her child. How do you think she's feeling about that decision now? I know how she pretends to feel, but how does she actually feel? She's 72 years old, childless, alone, not married, has no children, plenty of money, sure, and uh, some hit records, all of which are decades old. D does the money keep her company on those long, cold nights? Will the songs she's, she's already sung a million times give her comfort as she lives out her final years on this earth? It's just impossible to believe that a woman at this stage of life would still feel great about killing the only child she ever had for, for, for success that's now gone and fame that has faded and fun times that are all mostly in the past now. It's just, there's no way. You are alone with your past success being your only legacy. I mean, who cares about Fleetwood Mac? Who cares about Fleetwood Mac now? Who's going to care about Fleetwood Mac 50 years from now? I, I don't know about you, but, but I, I know how she feels about it. I would trade Fleetwood Mac's music in a heartbeat for her child.
if I could. Number five, Dr. Fauci now says that we may have to bite the bullet this year and um, sacrifice Thanksgiving. This is him talking about that. Listen. Because that's such a sacred part of American tradition, the family gathering around Thanksgiving. But that is a risk. You may have to bite the bullet and sacrifice that social gathering unless you're pretty certain that the people that you're dealing with are not infected. Okay, in fairness, he did have that qualifier there. He says, cancel Thanksgiving unless you're sure nobody is sick. But there's always that vagueness to it, right? Uh, and then it comes, and, and, then, and, then, and then eventually it's, no, 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 it's banned. Never mind. So that's the way it's always worked. Like 15 minutes, or uh, 15 minutes. Might as well, they might as well have said 15 minutes. 15 days to slow the spread. They said, hey, it's only 15 days. You know, give or take. It's 15, it'll be 15 days. Oh, but Dr. Fauci, what happens after 15 days? Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, it, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it could be done at 15 days. Who knows? I know this tactic because I use it with my kids. And they're finally starting to catch on that if they ask me for something and I give them the, maybe, we'll see. Sure, I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And then I, especially if I add the qualifier, uh, maybe, yeah, uh, you know, it's, if there's time at the end of the day uh, to get ice cream, well, we, we might do that. Sure, maybe. That, they've realized that that's just a no. That is a no in gestation. That is no in its embryonic phase. Um, and that's, uh, that's what we're getting from Fauci. But in this case, uh, the good thing is, you know, that I don't personally give a damn about Fauci's opinion of my Thanksgiving plans. It makes no difference to me. I'm not canceling Thanksgiving. I'm going to have Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. because And I'll tell you why it's my favorite. Very, very simple. Lots of food, no presents. I don't have to give presents. I don't have to receive them, which is also a great burden for me because I have to pretend that I like it, all the presents I get. Um, it Just get rid of all that and just get right to the food. That's all I care about these days. When you're a child, holidays are about presents. When you're an adult, it's really just about the food. That's Who cares about the present? Um, so it's my favorite holiday. I'm not going to be canceling it. And uh, we're going to be having Thanksgiving. We will not be wearing masks. And we will not be practicing social distancing. Uh, and we're just going to be, you know, we're going to be normal people having a Thanksgiving celebration. And But, you know, in fact, I'm not going to be forcing anyone to attend. That's the other good thing. So I, I was, I'm not going to go and abduct anybody off the street and, and make them sit at my table, uh, you know, under threat of, under threat of murder w- with a gun pointed to their head and stuff cranberry sauce down their throat. I'm not going to do that. We will hold off on that aspect of our normal tradition this year, which means that anyone who's at Thanksgiving with me, they chose to be there. They chose to take on the risk, which I think is, is, is not a very enormous risk, but um, they chose to take on that risk for the sake of turkey and gravy, and I think it is a gamble worth taking personally. Um, all right, let's go right to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we're going to cancel body shaming, not the thing itself, Uh, Not the shaming, but rather the focus on it, the hysteria over it, the claims made about it. That's what we're canceling. And just for example, we'll start. We'll start with this. Um, You know, and this year, you know, it's been a chaotic parade of of major news stories, one after the other. Perhaps none have been quite as significant though as the news that made headlines across the media landscape this week. You no doubt have probably already heard. Pop singer Billie Eilish was body shamed. This is a big deal. You're supposed to care about this sort of thing, though nobody is sure exactly why. 
Trumpet blasts resounded, alerting the whole internet to the incident, which uh, quickly became a national crisis. Fox News says, Billie Eilish claps back at body shamers. Yahoo reports, Billie Eilish responds to body shamers. MSN tells us, Billie Eilish body shaming video goes viral as singer responds to trolls. The Independent, L, E.T., Cosmopolitan, other publications had their own reports. BuzzFeed, as always, published the definitive essay on the topic in a post titled, Grown-ass adults, please stop body shaming Billie Eilish. That article, written by Pulitzer candidate Ryan Shockett, informs us that a recent photo of the singer walking down the street wearing a tank top and shorts and sandals with socks set off a wave of critiques, commentary, and discussion. Now, by the way, as an avid sock and sandal wearer myself, unapologetically so, I would hope that the photo would, if anything, um, help to normalize the sock and sandal community. But instead of discussing the advantages of footwear that allows you to proudly show off your favorite socks instead of hiding them inside dreary and boring shoes, it seems that the discussion, in this case, took a negative turn. The body shamers were out in force. A whole wave of them. Part of the body shaming epidemic, as it has been called. All of them set on ruthlessly mocking and belittling Billie Eilish. One of the body shaming tweets from an anonymous user said, In 10 months, Billie Eilish has developed a mid-30s wine mom body. Another body shamer said, wait, there wasn't another one. That was pretty much it. There was precisely one negative comment from some guy in England who goes by the handle Game Snosh. And many thousands of comments from people mercilessly scolding him for his rude behavior while heaping compliments and accolades on Eilish. Now, I have not counted all of them, but I would, I would guess that there's probably a 100,000 to 1 ratio of positive to negative comments. And that's probably a significant understatement. Also, uh, the people saying nice things include powerful media platforms, fellow celebrities. The people saying mean things include game snosh. Though in fairness, if I scoured Twitter, I'm sure I could probably find up to a dozen you know, accounts with anime avatars also insulting Eilish in hopes of leeching some of the attention from the dastardly game snosh. But all told, I don't think there's a real problem here. Lots and lots of people are saying very nice things about a woman who walked down the street wearing shorts. One dude said not nice things. This is not exactly Pearl Harbor in terms of national significance. True, Eilish has been targeted by shamers before, or so I'm told. Uh, she's spoken out about the body shaming and issued many eloquent clapbacks over the years. But again, a look at her Instagram account or uh, music videos on YouTube reveal a very near unanimous agreement that Eilish is beautiful, amazing, brilliant, she also won six Grammy Awards this year, which should serve, I would think, as a nice self-esteem boost. But even with millions of adoring fans and legions of, of internet warriors ready to leap into action to rip anyone to shreds should they utter the mildest insult about her looks, music, or anything else, we're still told that there's a real problem, even a newsworthy problem, of Billie Eilish being body shamed. It's not just Billie Eilish. To hear the media tell it, you would think that we live in a culture utterly beset by body shaming. Great effort is made to denounce body shaming, counteract body shaming, raise awareness about body shaming, eradicate body shaming. And the body shaming problem has attracted such intense focus that it's even been broken down into subcategories. We've gotten very specific with it. There's the infamous fat shaming, the slightly less infamous skinny shaming. Plus there's tall shaming, short shaming, hair shaming, bald shaming, skin shaming, teeth shaming, foot shaming, hand shaming, breast shaming, butt shaming. And we could continue down the list of, of body parts, all of which have their own dedicated shamers and also their own dedicated anti-shamers. 
But at least we could say the shaming is relegated to external features so far. I'm not aware of any spleen shamers or kidney shamers. Yet, despite the exorbitant attention paid to the problem, I doubt that people are more likely to make mean comments about your body today than at any other point in history. In fact, it seems quite certain that body shaming today is much less common than it once was. After all, there was a time when you could walk outside, you know, you, you put on your Sunday's best and head into town to laugh at obese people and hairy women at an event that was literally called a freak show. We may have our own ways of gawking at strange physical specimens these days, but we usually do it through, through reality TV, and usually it assumes an ostensibly inspirational or medical tone. My 600-pound life on TLC, uh, for example, is a show about extremely obese people, but it sells itself as um, an opportunity to follow participants as we document their life-saving journey. This is a kinder and gentler approach to the spectacle for, at least in this sense, a kinder and gentler age. And it's probably the best we can hope for from a fallen species such as ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that nobody is ever shamed for the way they look. I know I, I know they are. I am. I read my YouTube comments on occasion. You bastards. But if a person is subjected to a greater quantity of mean comments today, it's only because we interact with so many more people and we put ourselves in front of large audiences all the time as part of living our half-human, half-cyborg lives in cyberspace. There's always going to be small, petty jerks who love snickering anonymously from the sidelines if given the opportunity, but all the attention they're given only makes a troll molehill into a mountain. Most people, whether on the internet or in three-dimensional space, are not inclined to make any comments about your physical looks, and most who are inclined will say nice things. And if you are ever subjected to a genuinely vicious attack... You can always post about it on Facebook and get thousands of people lining up to assuage your damaged ego and donate generously to your GoFundMe campaign. What we should consider is that maybe the real epidemic when it comes to body shaming and bullying generally is that we are so unable to deal with it. The interesting question is not why are all these people saying mean things, but rather why are all these people incapable of handling the mean things that are said to them? We could, we could run around till our faces turn blue, demanding that everybody see themselves as beautiful just the way they are. But at a certain point, a person has to learn to function in the world without a constant IV drip of positive emotional reinforcement. If a bit of taunting from the internet peanut gallery causes you to plunge into despair, you probably have issues which the peanut gallery didn't cause and which would still exist even if they all agreed that you're the most gorgeous specimen in the whole world. There isn't much evidence that people are any meaner now than they've ever been at any other point in history, but there is a fair amount of evidence that we're far more vulnerable and dependent upon affirmation than at any other point in history. You know, some of the reason for this shift isn't hard to decipher. Social media intentionally breeds this kind of fragility and mass codependence. Many billions of dollars have been spent on technology designed precisely to give you this fragile emotional complex, and many more billions have been made because of it. Now, it also should be stated that some of the things we call body shaming can come from a place of genuine, sincere concern on the part of the alleged shamer. You know, calling somebody fat and ugly or stupid is clearly an insult, but these days we're so determined to eradicate body shaming that even a medically accurate and sound statement like, Obesity is unhealthy, or you know, uh, you shouldn't be proud of being morbidly overweight. 
Even that is denounced as shaming. Billie Eilish is obviously not obese, so this doesn't apply in her case, but we have run so far to the other end of the shaming extreme that now we tell people to embrace and celebrate aspects of their physical appearance that they can change and will kill them if they don't. So in the end, body shaming is not all it's cracked up to be. If you really feel shame about your body because some anonymous troll teased you, the problem is less the troll and more the fact that you care what the troll thinks in the first place, that you are, in fact, desperately in need of affirmation from that troll. And his withholding of it causes you to spiral into emotional crisis. That is the problem. In a sense, you are the problem. Focus on that. Until then, you're canceled. That was my inspirational talk for the day. I hope you feel better at the end of it. Um, And we will leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone, it's Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. As the confirmation hearings of smoking hot judge Amy Coney Barrett come to an end, it becomes easy to understand why the left is trying so hard to censor us and shout us down. It's because when the public hears what we really stand for, they're on our side. We'll talk about it on The Andrew Clavin Show.